Welcome to Drilling Deep. I am your host, John Kingston. Here at Drilling Deep, we drill deep into an issue of the week with our guest. For this week is Dave Heller, Vice President of Government Affairs at the Truckload Carriers Association. I sat down with him in Nashville, where we both attended the American Trucking Association's annual meeting. There's lots to talk about, and we're going to have it for you just here in a few minutes. As you can imagine, vaccine mandates are going to be near the top of the list of things we're going to speak about. Let's talk about diesel. Diesel consumers might be breathing a sigh of relief this week because some of the commodity and wholesale markets are showing signs of maybe having reached the top for now. That didn't stop the weekly Energy Information Administration diesel price, the famed DOE price, from tacking on another four plus cents this past Monday. That brought the four-week increase to more than 30 cents. We are now back to late 2008 levels. But remember, that benchmark number that comes out every Monday from the DOE is a lagging indicator. It's always way behind other movements in price. But rather than just speaking about the high price, I wanted to highlight a report that came out this week from a very good energy consultancy called Energy Aspects. We've made mention here of the fact that natural gas prices have soared around the world, with the U.S. actually lagging the increases elsewhere. And we've also talked about how that impacts diesel by diverting diesel fuel or some kind of fuel oil into the uh, use of producing electricity that might have been used by natural gas previously. The Energy Aspects Report probably lays it out best. Let's try to talk about it without getting too deep into the weeds. The report talks about the role of hydrogen in the supply of diesel. And here's how natural gas connects to that. You need natural gas to make hydrogen, and you need hydrogen to make diesel in the refining process if you're making that diesel from crudes that have a relatively high level of sulfur. The problem, of course, is that natural gas prices, particularly in Europe and Asia, are at enormous levels. That means it costs more to make the hydrogen that you need to make the diesel. What that can mean is that refiners will stay away from the heavier grades of crude that can produce a lot of diesel, and they'll stick to the lighter grades that are more suited to making gasoline. They can do that and avoid a process called hydrotreating, and it's hydrotreating that uses the hydrogen, hence the name. But if they do that, just to stay away from natural gas and hydrogen, you're going to get less diesel. And that's a long-term problem as the Northern Hemisphere goes into colder weather and the prospect that the already high price of natural gas could get even higher. But from the perspective of consumers, there is some good news in the Energy Aspects Report. Also, it's not all bad news. For example, the report notes that jet fuel demand continues to be weak around the world. Jet is a distillate like diesel. If refiners don't have the demand for jet fuel that they thought they were going to have, they will divert some of those distillate molecules that would have gone into making jet, and they would go use that into making diesel. That's what happened a lot in the summer of 2020 when airline demand for jet fuel was really down. And Energy Aspects notes in this report that it is happening again, though not quite on the same level. But in that news is good news for consumers. Also in the report, and we're going to kind of do this on a good news, bad news roll call. Here's a bad news. The U.S. refining sector is still down about 1.6 million barrels per day from Hurricane Ida, still more than two months later. Uh, here's some good news for consumers. The strength in the market in the diesel sector is being driven in part by the use of diesel and power generation. We talked about that earlier. But Energy Aspects thinks a lot of that is baked into the price already. And the way diesel has gotten ahead of crude prices may be coming to an end. And the view is that the diesel price has risen more than the price of crude because of that shift of diesel barrels into electric generation. So that's good news for consumers. This isn't in the report, but in the latest inventory report from the Energy Information Administration in the U.S., ultra-low sulfur diesel inventories 
We're right about the five-year average for the third or fourth week of October, if you throw out last year, which was an anomaly for obvious reasons. So that's good news for consumers. Here's some more good news for consumers. You think the U.S. has a truck driver problem? It's worse in Europe. And it's so bad that Energy Aspects says, energy aspects says that you see it in the data on diesel sales in Europe. That isn't really happening in the U.S., but it is significant enough in Europe that Energy Aspects sees it as softening demand for diesel, and that is good news for consumers. The question is whether all those pieces of good news are enough to offset the impact that natural gas prices are having on the market. I really don't know. But between using diesel to make electricity and not using natural gas to make hydrogen, that you need to make diesel, the global natural gas crunch is really the unstated bull case for diesel prices. Well, it was unstated. And now here at Drilling Deep, we said it. So welcome back to Drilling Deep. Now, welcome back. We're going to take a little pivot here in Drilling Deep. And we are actually on site. We are here at the American Trucking Association annual meeting. I know the formal name of it is the MCEB, MCE, uh, the Management Conference and Exhibition. But I think everybody thinks of it as the ATA annual meeting. And with me is Dave Heller, who's the Director of Government Affairs at the Truckload Carriers Association. Dave, uh, Dave's own group had a meeting in Las Vegas a few weeks ago. It was a terrific meeting. This is a terrific meeting. Lots of lots of truck gatherings. First time, you know, Dave, we you were on Drilling Deep. I don't know if you remember. Yes. We recorded it at the uh, Truckload Carriers Association meeting in Orlando in early March of last year, right before all hell broke loose. And um, I asked you at the time, was there any consideration given to canceling? And you said no. And of course, there wasn't any outbreak as a result of that. Uh, and then, of course, you know, 10 days later, the whole world was very different. So hopefully the world will just be better in 10 days from this this interview on. So uh, let's get right to it, because you're here at this meeting. Uh, I've just come Well, you were at the lunch too. Uh, Chris Spear, who's the head of the ATA, uh, talked about negotiations or uh, things that they are seeking from the federal government regarding the vaccination mandate. And it was the first time, time I ever heard the word exempt used in connection with it. I think your statements at TCA, uh, the statements by ATA previously kind of danced around the issue. And uh, and, and even Chris, in his uh, address to the, the broader attendance here this morning, uh, did not use the word exempt, but he used the word exempt at lunch. And I thought it was significant. Is that what the trucking in industry is seeking? Well, we most ha we undoubtedly have to look for that, right? Because the concern is, is if this vaccine mandate does become real and becomes effective, the effects it could have on our industry could be dramatic. You know, we've already, we're engaged in driver shortage issues, freight distribution issues all across the country. This is one of the big stories of the day, so to speak. And with that vaccine mandate could make that problem worse. So when you talk about exempting truck drivers or putting a carve out in for truck drivers because of this mandate, it makes sense because it gets out of the fact of having to consider that with companies over 100 employees, or it takes the decision out of the hands of the driver to leave the industry, thus making the previous problem even worse. So, you know, this is an issue that shouldn't be politicized. We're not taking a stand of supporting it or opposing a vaccine mandate. We're taking a stand and telling the story of the effects it could have on the industry, which could be dire and dramatic. And so this is one of those things that we have to consider as an industry when we move forward and making sure that our drivers continue the ability to move freight. You know, it's ironic. I probably shouldn't bring this up because it's a, it's a state law, uh, not a federal law, but AB5, mm -hmm. of course, has a list of exemptions that is a mile and a half long. Yep. And trucking is very specifically not on it. Yep. Because as we know, AB5 was primarily targeted at the gig drivers, at the Ubers and Lyft and trucking. So it would be very kind of ironic if 
there were very few exemptions given on a federal vaccine mandate, but trucking got one of them. It would be. And they call AB5 a law of general applicability. And yes. Then, but there's all those exemptions that, are, right. that are part of it. And it just shows you that it's not a law of general Well, the, the courts say it is. Yep. I mean, that's that's why it's failed so far. We, we don't want to get off on that. <laughs> can you think of any, I mean, of course, you're going to talk your book here, but can you think of any other industries quite like yours where, A, you've got a gross shortage of personnel? I know at, at Freightways, we don't like to talk about the driver shortage, but we'll, we'll, we'll use the word anyway. B, I think everybody kind of agrees that the people out there are the type who are likely to want to avoid a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and, and C, where their disappearance would cause just massive disruptions. Is there anybody else out there like that you can think of? You know, I, I wish I could. It, I, trucking seems to be one of those issues that does fall in that category of standing out. It's a much needed essential to this economy and for the people in this country to be stocked with the things they use every day. Um, and I, you know, maybe airline pilots, if you will, because it would certainly affect travel. But at the same point, when you've got the trucking industry who supplies this nation with just about everything, anything everybody owns has been on a truck at some point. The reason we know this is because nobody goes to a train station to buy milk. It just doesn't work that way. So, um, exempting the professional truck driver from a vaccine mandate would be critical. And remember, this job is is very solitary in nature. Uh, I mean, they don't get involved in a lot of dealings with the public. Um, they're not as heavily exposed to a, a, an outbreak or a pandemic because they're traveling alone in their own environment in the truck. You know, when they get out, they're still kind of less exposed because it's outdoors. So right. um, the question becomes, in the real world, is this vaccine mandate really should it really apply to them because of the nature of their position? And that becomes the bigger question. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned airlines, but the fact is the airlines have kind of taken care of that themselves Correct. with those airlines that have done a mandate. Uh, as far as I know, there are no trucking in, no trucking companies that have done any kind of a mandate. Not that I'm aware of. Right, okay. So um, where do you see the discussions in Washington? Uh, you know, the, the fact is the the announcement that there would be a mandate is probably now, what, seven or eight weeks old? Yeah. Uh, there's still no rules. I keep hearing the rules are going to be soon. Yep. Without, if, if they're not soon, it's almost sort of pointless. So uh, and, and what's your timetable here? Well, this is the big question, right? As, as we understand it, the rule right now is being reviewed at OMB, at the White House. Um, and it's being reviewed. And if they have any changes, they'll hand it back to OSHA to make those changes. But at some point, we could expect this rule to be introduced because of its emergency nature. Um, be introduced shortly. And by shortly is you know, within the next few weeks. Now, the question is, is what happens when it gets introduced, you know, without knowing what the rule looks like? And nobody really knows, um, except those that are actually reading it. Um, will then will then allow us the opportunity to comment on what it does indeed look like when it does come out. Now, the question is, is what happens at that point? By last count, I think there's 10 states already that are lined up to to either pass state laws that would prevent the enforcement of that at the state level. And you talked about AB5, or we can talk federal preemption, same federal preemption, same basic principle, right, is we can't have a patchwork of states doing different things that would basically create disruptions in that regard. So in saying that, with at least 10 states, and I'm sure there's more to follow, um, it just shows you, is this rule really necessary? Is the solution greater than the problem? You know, and that becomes that bigger question. You know, part of me wonders whether the administration knows I don't want to be conspiratorial about the yeah. Biden administration. This is not deep, dark nope. uh, conspiracy, but whether they just think having the rule out there is going to get, end up getting a lot of people vaccinated one way or the other, mm-hmm. and you're getting a little closer to your ultimate goals of how many people. I wonder if that's part of the game here. And it could be. You're right. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist yeah. by any stretch of the imagination, but it could be something that 
And again, I, this is me speculating. It could be something that they just said, if we do this, you know, maybe that will lead to more people changing their minds and more people going out and getting the vaccines. And that could be the case. I, again, I'm not in that room. You, you and I are yeah, kind of having that conversation, but at the same point, um, you know, because at this point, you, it's, it's like it's like crawling along a beach, like an inch at a time to get another person vaccinated because yep. you're not going to get big percentage swings at this point. No, at this point, I think it's widely assumed that everybody that wanted to get vaccinated is vaccinated. Uh, and then after that, it's the people that just don't want to or for one reason or another. That's that's their decision and their particular interest in that. Now, the other part of this that's been discussed is the possible bleeding of drivers from the bigger companies with 100 uh, with 100 employees down to the smaller companies that yeah. are going to do everything they can to stay under that 100 mark. Is that a real fear? It is. It's a real fear that they make that that transition from large to smaller carriers, thus picking winners and losers, basically, um, and, and even losing drivers altogether. We, we know that that's a possibility, yeah. but the, the ones that want to stay in the business and suddenly go to a much smaller carrier. Go to a much smaller carrier, which is a different business altogether. I, you know, we saw the other day, you know, President Biden was talking to the Best Buy and Walmart and Target about keeping their, their stores stocked and, and the industry has to do their part and the industry has done their part, continues to do its part and is a 24-7, 365 industry. So we are always doing that part. But the question then becomes, what effects does it have on those stores if this exodus to a smaller carrier happens? Uh, those smaller carriers may not be driving to target and delivering that type of freight. So it just all depends. It's an it's an aspect of the of the whole trucking industry business model that could have dramatic effects. Now, we're in a great time for truckers in the mm -hmm. sense that the rates are really strong. The profits are amazing. I know we're coming off of quarterly earnings where I can think of two truckload carriers that had ORs below 80, Heartland and PAM, pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, how long do you think it's going to last? What's the consensus uh, here, let's say, at the, the ATA meeting or what you heard a couple of weeks ago at your own meeting? Oh, I, I've heard this will go well into 2022 is from what I understand it, maybe even longer than that. I know, And again, I'm not an economist, so I'm just the messenger here. So I know uh, people are expecting this this type of business volume to keep up, the freight rates to keep up and, and continue along. It's going to be a pretty good year for the industry, continue to be a good year. So um, at least financially wise with freight rates still maintaining their status quo up there. Um, which is great. I think everybody, you know, this is that environment where we're stepping up to the plate and doing a job and that will continue to happen and we'll always do that job. So that's where we are as an industry. And I imagine that will continue along the same path. Well, now in Washington, I mean, given that you hear a lot of talk now about how the trucking, of course, the trucking industry came through in the pandemic. We know that. Mm -hmm. And there's a suggestion that possibly its reputation has taken kind of a permanent upward move and that it's not just temporary that uh, this was an industry that maybe didn't gain a lot of respect in the past, but most definitely has it now. And it was earned the hard way. Yep. You're in Washington. How much of that do you see? Oh, I, I see a lot more of it nowadays. Uh, you remember, it took the pandemic for the for the federal government to deem the professional truck drivers essential, uh, much like a frontline worker, much like an emergency responder. They're acknowledging now that that professional truck driver is that responder. Um, when we had to haul vaccines, had to haul PPEs, when we had to haul emergency supplies to natural disasters, you know, it is that truck driver that's rolling in there with all of these things because none of that gets done without the truck driver. So they're acknowledging that, they're seeing that, that this is, you know, the front lines of our of our national economy and national um, disaster relief as well, because anything in that regard does go on a truck. So I think it's openly acknowledged now the 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 opinions of the professional truck drivers certainly have improved dramatically. The image of the professional truck driver has grown tremendously. So um, 
and it's still there. That thought process is still there and has permeated it again. You're right. There was, um, it, it wasn't to the level as it was now. Um, this is creeping back to that whole Knights of the Highway that we used to yeah. call them. And, and that's that level we want to achieve again. It's a, it's a hardworking, honorable profession. And that's what we're looking to get and looking to attract more people to get into the industry. You know, we know that there's not enough people coming in the mm -hmm. industry, but again, I mentioned quarterly earnings. There was an analyst once who told me the number that he looks at to determine capacity, whether it's rising or not, is in the Landstar earnings. Okay. And he looks at the BCO number, the business capacity owners. He yep. says, if that number is going up, that's a good sign that capacity is rising. And, yep. and it was up. I, do you see any signs that we're attracting new people in the industry? I mean, every industry is hurting right now for employees, except mm -hmm. maybe Hollywood actors but, oh, yeah. uh, and professional athletes. Uh, and no, nobody can get enough workers. Are you getting <laughs> any any good signs? I, I did notice that there is a large number of increases in, in new motor carrier registrations, which obviously is going to be larger increase in the independent contractor, especially when that model is under attack these days. But there has been... Uh, Triple the amount of numbers, I think, this year alone, double the amount last year in terms of new carrier registrations of, of small businesses wanting to get into the industry and haul some freight and, and during these good times. So um, in terms of numbers or attracting more people, um, I'm not seeing that just yet. Uh, just that independent contractor model certainly is growing, but that could be drivers that are leaving their their jobs with a carrier, maybe getting into the independent contractor market. So we're not sure about that transition and what that looks like. Um, and again, we're still kind of in a COVID-based environment where class sizes may be limited. There could be some social distancing measures at schools that prevent them from having the class sizes that they once did. Um, so we're just not seeing the numbers on the front end. One of the things we were talking about, and you're probably familiar with this, is that younger driver type of apprentice program that drives safe back. That is in the infrastructure bill being talked about on the Hill these days. And it would allow the industry to basically expose interstate commerce to that driver, that potential driver, 18 to 20, when they leave high school, here's a career path for you. Um, and that could be that could be very beneficial to the industry, exposing us to a demographic that basically we never truly got exposed to before because intrastate freight isn't what it once was. The world has gotten smaller, so there's more interstate commerce now than, than ever. So at that point in time, getting that demographic exposed to a rewarding career is can be a good thing. Now let's swing over to AB5, sure. one of my favorite subjects, um, which could become the law of the land in California any day. Yeah. I won't say any day now because I know that there's some conferences and arguments that, uh, that the court's looking for. But if they deny certiorari of the appeals court, then it goes into effect immediately. Immediately actually is, is in the, the court decision, yeah. uh, the appellate court decision. Uh, how does the industry react? Some of the suggestions I've heard involve really radical restructuring of the whole business model in California. Uh, where trucking companies just become broker brokerage companies. I mean, they will have a, a brokerage division. And that becomes the whole company. Yeah. Uh, nobody's got the, the clear answer. What are you hearing? Yeah, you know, I've heard the same things, and there really is no true clear answer. I think this is one of those things that um, we continue to to see which way is up, and we're waiting for the court to rule on whether or not they'll actually hear the case. Um, it seems like a good shot. Um, again, a lot of people have filed amicus briefs in support, just basically showing how many players are involved in this type of environment. Um, so it seems like a relatively good shot if there is such a thing as a good shot of having the Supreme Court hear a case. So um, we're basically waiting on word with that. But yeah, I, I've heard that, that there'll be a lot of transitions to a, a, the brokerage model and a lot of people having brokerage divisions and operating in that regard and entirely different independent independent business that is different than the carrier model. So I think time will tell how that shakes out. Um, if it does shake out and 
And again, if the courts do hear hear our case, I think that the chances are good that they that they read it and say, "Wow, this is a threat to the independent contractor business model." You know, that American dream that a lot of large truckload carriers have built their businesses based on that model and started out with just one truck. Um, so I think it's it's a wait and see at this point. Yeah, though I do think it, it will ultimately come down to the whole federal preemption issue. Yep. And uh, some attorneys have pointed out the the court recently there, there's this C.H. Robinson case, mm-hmm. which is not an AB five case, yep. but is very much a case that involves the F four A, the F quad A. Yep. They asked for a brief on that one, and I think that's led to some attorneys thinking like, okay, they're really interested in this whole F F four A exemption issue so it may come so well let's, let's change subject again now you you walk the floor here you walk the floor at your own meeting um what is exciting you the most seeing people uh no doubt about it you're in this industry just as much as i am so it's when you kind of finally start seeing people seeing some old friends some old acquaintances reconnecting you know you get tired of looking at people through the zoom lens if you will and now seeing them face to face shaking a hand doing a fist bump and 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 telling a story or two, that's the most exciting part to me, at least. And, and knowing that you know, we were in an environment where we saw these people all the time and had developed great relationships, which then either those relationships transitioned to an electronic relationship because you just didn't, couldn't see them for about a year and a half to now back in the fold again. And it's just great seeing people reconnecting with members and, and talking trucking, talking family, talking anything that you built that relationship on. And I think that's the most exciting part. Specifically to TCA, you're looking for a new president. Yeah. Uh, when that president comes in, what are his or her major challenges going to be? Uh, well, the industry landscape, without a doubt. You know, these the very things that we're talking about. Um, TCA is in a, an excellent position. We're growing tremendously by leaps and bounds. Right, the record number of, of members. Right? Yep, without a doubt. So um, I think just basically getting in, understanding the industry, getting involved in all of these issues that we talk about here on this podcast. I think that's the... That's going to be the the trial by fire, if you will, or drinking from the proverbial fire hose. So it's one of those things that, that he or she would have to familiarize themselves with those issues once they hit the ground running. What, what's the state of TCA, ATA relations? Never better. Uh, the relationships are great. I, we, we have a strong working relationship. Um, we have a, a great respect for each other's um, businesses and, and hill efforts and everything. And we have a strong partnership going too. So I, it's very rewarding for both sides. All right. Very good. So, wow. Well, we could talk a little more, but I'll let you go now. So back onto that floor. Cause it's, it takes a while from walk one, walk from one end it, to the uh, other. It wears you out without a doubt. So we want to thank David Heller for being our guest here today on Drilling Deep. You have been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts from Freightways. You can find us on all of the major podcast platforms. I'm your host, John Kingston, and please join us again. 